In this episode, I'm talking to James Hind, founder and CEO of CarWow. CarWow is an online platform for buying a new car or selling your old car. The website brings offers from thousands of partners to enable its customers to buy or sell their car quickly and easily. The platform is rich in content and well worth a visit to fully understand what makes CarWow so impressive as a business. James and the team have raised over £150 million to date and are a fully tech-enabled international UK success story. James, welcome to the Zeus Founder and Chief Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. For the audience, can you describe where you are today? Sure, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm currently at home. It's 37 degrees. It's the hottest day ever, but uh, I wish I was in the office, but uh, I made the mistake of not travelling. Well, I, I chickened out and I, I came into the office today for the benefit of aircon, and we've had the thermometer move around the offices. And I think we got 34, I think it was the highest we got to. Um, but yes, I think being in the office is probably better with the aircon and the benefits that brings. Um, talk to us around your background, James, and I imagine you get this a lot, so apologies if it's a basic question, but are you a car enthusiast, a petrol head at heart? Yeah, yeah for sure I am. That, that's where the business started. But my background is, so I grew up on the Wirral, so my accent not not as strong as yours quite, but maybe I'll <laughs> Trying to drop mine. <laughs> uh, and I went to uni. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I did an internship at a fund management company, uh, a company in Liverpool. And it, I watched their world kind of collapse during the financial crisis. I was only there for three months. I think I was the unlucky uh, mascot watching their uh, funds and management half while I was there. But it honestly put me off that life for good. I thought, no control. You're just riding a wave. So I thought I wanted to start a business. And the advice I was read was do something that you're interested in. Do it in an area you're interested in. And as you said, I was... I was passionate about cars. I used to read all these car magazines. I had friends, family members asking me what car should I buy? And I thought, let's do something now. And we saw an idea which was uh, Rotten Tomatoes, do it for films, aggregating what everyone's saying about a film, giving it a score and saying if it's any good. And we thought, we'll do that for cars. So I set up a super basic website, uh, ran it with my now wife, at the time girlfriend, who designed a few websites, so she set it up. Uh, stayed in my parents' house, I think, for two and a half, three years, working on the world, no money. Um, but over time, got us going, got us a bit of traffic. We kind of played around with uh, trying to trying to game Google, got punished a couple of times along the way. But without any money, built up a bit of traffic. And from there, realized that running this content stuff, it's, it's okay, it's good. Consumers liked it. It's never going to make any real money. So we thought we'll use the traffic we've got to try and help people buy a car. Because we have people all the time saying, look, I'm trying to buy a car. It's painful. I buy everything else online. Is there another way? Uh, and we looked into it and thought there isn't. So we started helping connect consumers with dealers. Uh, and then it kind of grew from there. So what year is this then just to help us sort of join those um, jigsaw pieces? About, what, 2010 or so. Okay. Where okay. We had, and what was... 2011 or so, we started actually selling some cars. So I know that the original name for the company, or maybe it wasn't at this stage, but it was Carbuzz. Yeah, that's what. Obviously, you've now changed that to car. Wow, what was the catalyst behind that name change? So the, the non-PR, the real boring true answer was we couldn't get the .com. <laughs> so we knew we early early we were tiny back then, but we knew we wanted to go international at some point. And we thought if we can't get the .com, it's just going to be confusing. It's going to be one of those things that nags at us. So we managed to pick up CarWow for I can't remember very very little, hundreds of pounds probably. Uh, anything with car in that's short, pronounceable, uh, impossible. 
super okay. cool. but we managed to find it and yeah we, we like the name now and what what's the what, what's the party message then that, that, that you normally give out um, well, you can spin something around a wow experience and that's what we <laughs> okay. like, name's second but uh, customer service as well yeah exactly exactly perfect perfect um what did so, so when you were on this journey and, and obviously you said that you started this one because it, it, you know, you were fanatic about cars and, and researching the cars and all that sort of good stuff what did you want to change in the car buying process where did you see those, those difficulties for either the consumer or how did you think that, that you could improve that well, i mean one of the catalysts was i remember uh, being with my mum when she was buying a car my parents always bought volvos and she went to the Volvo dealer that they'd been to, I don't know, three or four cars they bought from there. And her trying to haggle and negotiate with this car dealer who was kind of smirking. Uh, and it was me at the time, a teenager and my mum. And I thought, this, this guy's just having this on. Uh, yeah, it's not nice. It's not, yeah, it's not a good experience. He's spending a huge amount of money uh, on a new car. So I thought, what can we do there? And realized just, we put my telephone number up on the website and said, if you're looking to buy a car, give me a ring. Uh, and people would ring up and they're like, I've done it before. I don't like it. Um, is there another way? So I started ringing car dealers at the time, helping connect the two up and realized that for all the consumers, uh, for all the problems that consumers have, car dealers themselves, they have issues as well. They have issues in struggling to hit the targets the manufacturer set and struggling to reach outside of it. Um, very dependent on that showroom being their, 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 their local marketing asset. And, and that's about it at the time. And, and did you stumble across a couple of those sort of obstacles or were you aware of them and you were just trying to figure out a way of bringing those two, those two uh, we're, together? We were aware of them. Um, it's just when we got speaking to customers and dealers, we realised that both sides have a problem. Okay. And then and then we, we, we did that over the phone for, I don't know, six months, three months, six months, and then realised there's something here. It's never going to, it can't be a telephone operation, obviously. So we thought we'll try and bring on a, a, a technical co-founder. And very, very lucky we found a guy called David, who's our CTO, who's a co-founder of the business now. And he turned it into a technology business. So instead of telling me on the phone what you wanted, you could start to enter on the website. What was David's background before joining the business then? He, he, he was far more experienced than, than I was. He was a developer. He'd worked at big companies, Money Supermarket, ThoughtWorks, uh, and a very, very fortunate to meet him. Good man, good man. Well, you obviously can spot some talents as well, so give yourself some credit. Um, when did the shift to online car purchasing really become a thing? Yeah, very good question. I mean, so we still believe the vast majority, so everyone, almost broadly speaking, everyone uses the internet to research and buy their car. They're working out what car to buy, where to buy it, how to buy it, et cetera, online. Now, very, very, very few, you're talking less than sing single, low, 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 single digit percentage will actually buy it, click now, buy now, don't talk to anyone, tiny, tiny, tiny. So we don't focus too much on facilitating that, that last bit because we don't think it's the most important bit. We think the most important bit is to work out what to buy, how to buy it, and where to buy it from. Whether you have to speak to someone on the phone or do it all online, it's the, it's the least important bit almost of the journey. And I think ultimately that shift only happened in terms of any consumers, any dealers facilitating it with COVID. You, you almost had two things that happened during COVID. One was the launch of the likes of Kazoo, Kavana in the US, Cinch in the UK. And at the same time, it was COVID pandemic, shut down, can't do anything with showrooms. Okay, well, let's build some uh, website functionality. That's how the dealers thought. That was the shift that happened. Um, and now the interesting thing you have is the, the online players, the Cinch's, Kazoo's, they were initially only going to be online, no showroom whatsoever. Now they're moving towards a much more showroom physical location. 
and and the the old school dealers in inverted commas they're shifting the other way they've got their showrooms but now they're building or they have built already all the online but still usage of pure 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 online never speak to anyone never go to any showroom or test drive still very 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 low interesting sort of thought from myself i'll say it's interesting but i remember when i spoke to you and i said how i use skyscanner for example yeah. so i would use skyscanner to find the flight yeah. or you know the destination whatever it may well be in the cost and then i'd come off that platform and then i'd go direct to whatever jet to yeah Ryanair, easy jet etc i'm showing you the kind of places that i've looked for here in holidays <laughs> um was that a challenge where you felt that People would use the platform because obviously it's very rich in data, very rich in information. That they would not use you, but you know what I mean. That they they would they, they would go to the platform to get these such rich and high levels of information, but then move away and then maybe go to a dealer. And is is that something that you try to bridge as well? Yeah, for sure. We know any platform that's how people often use it. So the way we bridge that is try and work with as many high quality dealers as possible and give consumers a very frictionless way to contact because there's no financial benefit from doing that. There's, you're not saving like any money, and if you're making it as frictionless as possible, then there's no ease of ease of going off platform whatsoever. So we don't see it as a as a problem. We know we influence far more sales than we actually directly get uh, uh, credit for, but that's fine. We we can build that into the into the cost that we charge dealers or car manufacturers, uh, and, and we have a rough count uh, for that as well. So what is the what's the what's the current data pointing to then in terms of sales online versus car showrooms? So I mean, again, it depends what you, what you define as online. Pure online and never ever ever speak to anyone, never go to any showrooms. Right, again, okay. very low single digit percentage, I'd say. Some of the, some of the um, car dealers themselves, the public ones, are quite open with that stat and they share how many they're getting and it, and it's around that. However, sales where you don't go to a showroom. On Carwell, uh, over the majority now. So you're talking about 60% or so. Don't visit the showroom. But that's often because they don't feel the need to. They don't feel the need to test drive. Uh, they're happy that there's some form of protection because they're all, um, they, they've got the kind of money back guarantee. So they can just have it delivered and, and they're confident in it. And is that is that changing more and more again as people can become more confident with purchase online and they've got the information they need and they're more competent and confident in terms of what a car can do and how a car drives, et cetera? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, and, 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 and this was higher during the pandemic because the dealers were locked down, but you didn't see a massive drop off in sales because of it. Okay, interesting. So the consumer is your, what I'd call your actual customer. And that's not to say that the dealers are not important to you, but you need the consumer. Describe what your typical customer, whether it's by age or by car type, you know, you, however you would define it. Just help us understand what, what a typical customer is for Carwa. So typical customer. So now that so Carwa historically only sold brand new cars. That was our core part of the market. That was the sole part of the market to start with. Now we help with used cars as well, and we help consumers sell their car. So the profile has changed quite a bit. However, broadly speaking, it is older men. So the majority of our customers are over 50 uh, and around 70, 80% when I last saw it of registered users were men. Now the, we do skew towards a, because of the new car uh, origins, we do skew towards the kind of nearly new end of used and people selling their car on car out are towards the more expensive younger cars. So we're not quite kind of representative of the whole market of used okay. to sell your car. Um, and then the user research we show says that, I mean, a car is 
largely speaking, a household decision. Yeah. So it's discussed as a household, uh, the finances, what you want from the car, et cetera. And then stereotyping, but this is what we see with these research, it is then if you assume a stereotypical male, female, husband, wife type uh, family, it is the husband who does the, the inquiring and the, the contact with the dealer. Again, stereotyping, but that is the, the data that we see. But over time, and as you know, as soon as the business goes on to decades and decades of, of, of existence, then you'll get to a stage where you may start off with a family car because you've got an individual who's bought it because the children, and maybe as the children and get bigger, yeah. then you start to get different demographics and different car types in there. No, no, for sure, for sure. We, we, and we see it getting a lot younger and a lot more female uh, in general as well. Yeah, good. Good. I mentioned the dealers. Um, talk to us around the dealer network then and how have you managed to convince dealers to work with you? And, and to add another layer to that, what was the initial uh, perception of you guys when, when, when you entered the market? So the initial perception, so this was at a time when broadly we were bringing price transparency to new cars, giving the consumer price transparency. You could see across the UK which dealers were selling the same car for what price. Consumers loved it. Dealers either hated it or they embraced it because they were opportunistic and they saw that this is a route to market. Okay. And, and what you've got to understand at the time as well is this was a time of oversupply of new cars. There were more cars being built than there were actually people who wanted to buy them. So what the car manufacturers would do is say to the dealer, look, you've got to sell this many cars. And if you don't, you're going to have to buy them yourself. That's what's called pre-registering in the industry. So you, the dealer has to physically buy the cars and then sell them off later as a used car with very few miles. Very expensive exercise. So what we gave the option for the dealer is, look, rather than buy them yourself, sell them to someone who's further away, who's looking for a good deal. And that's how originally the business grew. Now, over time, that oversupply came down. During COVID, it evaporated. Yeah. Now, since then, it's become the opposite. It's complete undersupply. But our dealer network's healthier than ever. Uh, discounts are lower than they've ever been, almost non-existent on many brands. But still, consumers are using us, comparing us, uh, comparing dealers, comparing finance types, comparing availability, comparing new versus used, and now selling their car. Uh, so we're bigger than ever. So quite a journey with with the dealers. Now we're just seen as part of the furniture, a kind of a go-to digital marketing player, um, and and again part of the industry now. Give me if the potentially incorrect or insensitive question. Would you say that you've gone maybe some way or maybe you've helped entirely sort of clean that mark up a little bit then in terms of that transparency? Yeah, so we get credited reluctantly so sometimes of, yeah, we sped up this this transparency. Much better for consumers. And actually dealers much prefer us as well. They don't want these, they don't want someone who's in the town over selling the same car for a lot less. It's much better for the consumer to know okay, this is a reasonable price. I'm not looking for the cheapest price. This is a reasonable price and I'm happy to buy. Yep. As long as the deal is helpful, good, local, got a car in stock. So yeah, now again, it's just we're, we're, we're part of the, the marketing mix for dealers. I suppose you give the consumer that level of confidence to explore and investigate different sort of price points and different vehicles about thinking I'm going to be pushed into this particular car because maybe they're incentivized to sell. Exactly. And, and because we're a marketplace, we've got everything. We've got every make and model, every way of buying it, every age of car, and we can help you sell your car. So you're on the platform already. And then, like I said, if it's easy, if there's no, no nothing to be lost by using CarWow, then that's where consumers shop and, and they're shopping across multiple makes, multiple dealers. Let's touch on 
your growth um, and I'd like you to, to talk to us around your, your fundraising to date. Um, so explain to us how you've managed to fuel your growth. And I mentioned in my introduction um, before and that you've raised over 150 million pounds to date. So touch on that, was that one round, was that multiple rounds, types of investors that you brought into the business? Yeah, sure. So, so many types of investors over many years. So we raised an angel round eight years ago now, probably. Almost all of it cold emailing people who'd worked in tech and convincing them. I think we raised 250k that round. Then we raised from a range of, we're very lucky to have what we believe is Europe's best tech investors, uh, VC. So Balderson, Excel, uh, episode one, uh, Vitruvian now, who growth capital as well. And then more recently, we've raised from quite a few car manufacturers. So Mercedes invested, uh, Volvo invested, and then JLY, which is a Geely company, invested recently as well. So that's really helpful for us because they bring a whole a lot of our revenue comes directly from car manufacturers and having these they're only very small minority investments from them. Uh, great way for us to access that knowledge and know what's going on with them. Was there any friction with getting the OEMs involved there or was there any sort of indecision by you to, to invite those parties in or is that definitely positive? These car manufacturers, they all work together on everything um, anyway. And and uh, what we saw when Mercedes invested first was yeah it ramped up our OEM business almost overnight. They just took it. They just thought, okay, there's something serious, so we need to look at it properly. What was your hardest round? The, the smallest, earliest one, one, or the no. largest? No, no, no. Get, well, broadly, it gets easier. Uh, the first one was the, the hardest because what we had, I mean, revenue was zero, probably almost yeah. almost exactly. Uh, no CV, no experience from my side, definitely more so from David. Uh, and yeah, very, very, very difficult. I think the other thing that was hard at the time was there was no automotive startups in tech, okay. not a single one uh, in the UK or Europe. Yeah, okay. Now there's a lot, but at the time it was just not seen as a an yeah. Different verticals have been yeah, yeah, get it. Yeah. What what have those successful investment rounds done to you as a as an individual or as a CEO? Is that giving you does that give you the confidence that yeah we're on the right track people get it you know we, we are building the right business we are we are in the right space at the right time um at the same time do you wake up in the middle of the night cold sweats you've raised you know large quantums of money or actually no you know that you know, we're, we're on the right track and actually all good i think it's i don't have the kind of cold sweats we've raised money as in we've got to prove it it's more we've got a massive opportunity and are we making the most of it so that's more kind of internal how we work yeah. Are we prioritizing the right things? Are we moving fast enough? That that's the stuff that keeps me up at night. But I think the, the only challenge, well, not the only, the, the biggest challenge we've often faced, particularly in the last when we raised money last, was more at the time the market was valuing very capital-intensive businesses, and very young businesses as well, and businesses that control everything. So if you take cars, for example, the, the ones who are getting the very high value are the ones who are physically buying cars, moving cars, selling cars. Yeah. And we got criticism of, well, why do you want to be a marketplace? Uh, you can you can get much higher revenues. You can control everything much better if you're doing it yourself. Uh, and 10, well, maybe five years ago, marketplaces, that was what's great. Brilliant business model. Then it became almost unsexy. And I think now in the last three months or so, it's shifted back the other way. Capital light, high margin businesses right. yeah. now back in favor. But how, I mean, you know, probably a hundred times better than I do, how that market moves is frustrating at times. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, and and yeah. it's very, it can often be around who's done what the most, you know, the most recent 
and therefore that becomes the sort of the, the trend to follow. But like I say, you've got you've got proper sophisticated grown up investors now around that sort of cap table that that'll be giving you the insights in terms of what what those kind of you know people are looking for, plus on the return front as well. Um, let's touch on electric vehicles. So battery electric vehicle sales are running at north of seventy percent growth year on year. Um, have you seen an uptick in interest from consumers in terms of moving to EVs and how does Carwell get its fair share of customers in terms of this new market and maybe is my is my data out of date and you've got some new stats to no, 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 no. right. I mean I mean simply put electric is the future. It's going that way and it's it's a one way street. So by twenty thirty five across Europe has to be electric, twenty thirty in the UK. And we have an internal mantra that we want to speed up the pace of change, the acceleration into electric. Okay. So we do a lot to push people towards electric. So you build a petrol car or a diesel car, we'll recommend the most similar electric. And we're big believers that if you can afford to buy a brand new car, your next car should be electric for 90% of consumers. And the way that it's a huge opportunity for CarWow because the electric car revolution is a new car revolution. Very few used electric cars out there. The battery range increases significantly every year. So there's a real reason to upgrade your electric car in three years' time or four years' time. Yeah, okay. yeah, we, we, love, we love that change. And it's a brilliant opportunity for us as well because you need that education as a consumer, particularly when you buy your first electric car. So you probably know what a good MPG is, what a decent BHP is, et cetera, because you've bought a few cars over, over the last uh, decade or so. You don't know what kilowatt is, kilowatt hours, range easy to understand, but what does it mean to me? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So there's a huge amount of uh, education that electric car buyers have, and and so they're even more likely to find car well. So uh, as a result, we over index forty percent on the market uh, to electric ownership. And That's and now point. in Germany, the majority of cars, so just over fifty percent now, are pure electric. Uh -huh. So again, you'll see those sort of demographics, I assume, changing as well, whether it's by car type or household again, as, as you start to see that that movement. Uh, interesting that you say it's a one way bet. And I think anyone that, that you sort of talk to sees that and you, you see more and more electric cars. It's just I think it's the challenge take out supply chain for the moment, but is around the infrastructure. That, yeah, that wraps around it. And there's a there's a big there's a big head like just looking at the UK for the UK to get over. If you look at Norway, you know, phenomenal, and they've, they've got it right. And it, it's you know, you probably be you can see every car be electric. The UK still has got a way to go. It has, but I mean, I've driven electric now for what four years, five years. Right, it's just not that bad. As in, you you occasionally need to do a very long journey. Yeah, you got to stop a bit at a petrol station, but ninety nine percent of your journeys, it's absolutely, it's just so much better. Yeah, and and how often are you doing long journeys yeah, anyway? You know, and all that sort of good stuff. And look, looking at petrol prices today. As we stand, do you want to do, well, a, long, do, you want to do a long journey in the, in the petrol? Yeah. But we see, see, we did a press release about it. As those petrol prices went massively sky high, I can't remember, two months ago, three months ago, the Ukraine war. Yeah. Uh, interest in electrics, very similar pattern as well. You search it, yeah, you search as we go through the roof. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, there's a perception that Carwell can only prosper in an oversupplied new car market, which is clearly not on the agenda for the next couple of years. What would you say to challenge that view? I mean, our revenue is it, it, our revenue has grown significantly in the under the crazy undersupply that we've had at the moment. Right. 
And that's not just across new, it's also because we've gone into helping consumers sell their car, which is a whole other market yeah. that's not yeah. touched by the, the new car supply. And then into used as well. Used because we want to show you this the new car next to the most similar nearly new car and because dealers want us to help them sell more used cars as well. So I would say the undersupply has been great for car wow in the kind of medium long term because it shifted us into other verticals where we can help our consumers, help our dealers. Uh, so perfect crossover synergy. If that hadn't happened, we probably stayed a bit lazy and just kept with new car uh, and enjoyed that roaring kind of new car market for us. Uh, so that shift, yeah, it's impacted the new car revenue or it did, uh, but now it's stronger than ever. Listening to you talk around electric, um, general supply, selling cars now, used car. Are you able to point to where you, you'll see your, your biggest growth area or do you have so many sort of different verticals within your own business all pointing in one direction that actually they're all growing at such well, I mean, Yeah, we're lucky. And the, the other one we have mentioned is the car manufacturer revenue. So that's car manufacturers directly paying for us. Either they receive inquiries themselves, so largely the car manufacturers sell direct or use us, okay. or they're paying for marketing on the site. Now, again, that's it's growing very, very, very nicely, but but it would be even faster if it wasn't for the lack of supply. Broadly, though, we think wind forward two years or so, the sell your car part of the business. So that's helping consumers sell their cars, creating an online auction where dealers bid. That should be the biggest part of our market in terms of revenue split because okay. it's the it's the largest overall category in the, in yeah. the market. So just to step away a little bit then from where my line of question was going, for anyone who's listening to the podcast who isn't listening to it from a business or sort of economy kind of perspective, potentially almost like a um, a sales plug, how how does that work? Who collects my car? What happens? I've got a car to sell, any vehicle, James, doesn't matter what you pick. I put it on the website. Just talk us a little bit through that journey. So you've got a car to sell. So either you're selling it because you want to dispose of it or you, most frequently you're selling it because you want to buy a new car, as in new or used. So that's the, that's the great reach we have. We've got so many people already looking for their next car, so we help them sell their car as well. So the way it works is you get your phone, you either use our site or download the app, you take photos of it on your driveway, uh, you let us know the mileage, any damage, and then that goes live and dealers bid to buy your car from you. So you're creating an auction for your own car. Now you choose the, the winning bid, including that bid is the cost of collection, so free collection from your house, and then the dealer or a third party that we send will come around to your house, confirm that the car is as described as the photo showed, transfer, you'll tra they'll transfer the money to you instantly, and then they'll drive away in your old car once you've got received the money. So super convenient. Mm -hmm. uh, we've done some user research. 83% get the best price when they use car. Brilliant. Brilliant. So very, very clear consumer proposition. Uh, and then more complicated because of the way the industry works, but broadly dealers really, really like it because they can buy direct from consumers. Nice. And again, think of the number of people who got cars, eventually going to sell it, move yeah. towards electric potentially. What does that mean? Well, there's, there's, a, there's a big, there's a big addressable market for you guys to, to go to. Um, thank you for that. I appreciate that. I probably should have asked you that earlier on. Oh, <laughs> It looks like you are now working more closely with OEMs and we've mentioned obviously some of those have come on board um, as investors. How do you see the future of CarWow as some of the OEMs decide to go down their own sort of agency model route? Yeah, so for those in the industry, big trend that car manufacturers want to control the sales process for particularly their new cars so that they will, dealers will act as almost an agent. 
So there'll yeah. be no price difference between dealers. You'll buy the car actually directly from the car manufacturer. So largely through their website is what they hope or plan. Uh, we love that trend. Uh, we want it to happen as soon as possible for a couple of reasons. It's great for the consumer. Uh, it's much easier to have that fixed price and that confidence that you're buying directly from the car manufacturer. And then selfishly for CarWow, it's going to be a brilliant trend for us because car manufacturers can will then be able to track exactly where they're getting consumers from, what digital marketing is working. And that's our biggest challenge at the moment. Car manufacturers spend a lot of money marketing with us, but then they can't tie up what it's actually doing because it's all by dealers. With this, they'll need more routes than ever to market because they can't rely on the dealers themselves for it. So we think more and more and more we'll spend uh, directly with Carwell. Uh, and they'll be earning more money per car so they, they can afford even more marketing spend. So we love that trend. Uh, and again, it's a very big reason why uh, these three big car manufacturers invested in us. Because they, 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 they are embracing that trend themselves. In fact, they're leading it, those three often. Uh, and they see us as a core route to market with it. Let's talk around internationalization and how you've grown um, into different territories. You built a good, I'd say very good presence in Germany. You mentioned obviously some of those stats earlier on in the conversation and it is a large market, but it's one that many people have gone to and, and it's difficult. It's, you know, many have failed. What are you most excited around in this particular territory thinking around Germany and how do you replicate that across other European countries if you're to look to do that? Yeah, so we launched in Germany about five years ago now uh, and launched in Spain as well about three years ago. So Germany is fantastic, uh, bigger now for new cars than the UK. Uh, and we love Germany because it, it should become our biggest market overall, right. purely because the car market is bigger in Germany. Yeah. Uh, Germans love their cars. The car manufacturers, a lot of power obviously sits in Germany. So it really helps with uh, obviously Mercedes, uh, BMW, Audi, Volkswagen, etc. Uh, so yeah, we said very bright future for Germany. Spain as well works nicely, smaller markets, um, more impacted by the kind of uh, general kind of post-COVID recovery, uh, but a really good market for us. And again, we're, we're number one there as well. We're in, I'd say, challenging economic conditions or a challenging economic environment, um, yet significant investment is required to continue your growth and your growth trajectory. Are there any ways in which you can try to, to, to box clever and reduce spend? but still maintain a strong market presence. You touched on upon that marketing spend um, earlier and how that large spend can increase in terms of hitting the bottom line, et cetera, given the challenges that we're all currently experiencing. How do you, how does Carwell pivot? Yeah, so we're, we're being mindful of that. I think it's less on the cost control. It's more because we've shifted to add used and sell your car. New car is obviously quite a cyclical market. Mm -hmm. um, used and, and having to sell a car, pretty rock solid. Doesn't change that much through recessions or boom times, pretty solid. So we, we love the fact that we're growing into that bit and that, that should offset any kind of new plus cyclicality. On the new car, however, we've been in a sticky kind of market situation where you've got chronic, the worst, the, the worst supply of new cars in my lifetime. And until recently, pretty, bo pretty booming uh, demand as well. Yeah. There's a marketplace, that's horrible because largely speaking the supply side dealers car manufacturers they don't really need a marketplace yeah so that's been tough so bad for the world but we, we actually quite like the slowdown the kind of macroeconomic slowdown because it is impacting consumer demand but that helps us because the dealers the car manufacturers who actually pay our bills uh, need us more so right. we've seen record sign up in dealers and car manufacturers who are working with us so we actually quite like that slowdown 
as long as it doesn't get too bad, it's it's actually a very, very good trend for us because because of the supply challenge. You touched on Germany. You said you 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 love that as a geography and you you you're performing exceptionally well there. In Spain, you've been there now for a number of years, and again that that is performing well for you. What about the US in terms of is that a market where and I'm sure you get this question often, so I'm not exactly splitting the atom here, but if you've been tempted to to look at the US and it you know it's massive in its nature in terms of size and scale, populations, etc. What mistakes have you seen people make? And you know, sort of two car example kind of springs to mind. Talk around the US. Yeah, so it, it is something we'd like to one time, not no, no kind of immediate plans. Which is a very big market, particularly if you zoom in, there's uh, two or three states that are absolutely mammoth, million plus cars in each state per month, uh, per year. So we launch in one of those states and roll it out. We've got a big YouTube presence in, in uh, the US as well, which would help us launch. And broadly, we think the consumer, the consumer experience is worse in the US than it is Europe. Yeah, yeah. You've got a couple of big players out there, largely on the used car side. No one's really cracked new. Uh, and then True Car, as you mentioned, I mean, underperforming business for now, I don't know, six, seven years, almost since it was public, really hasn't cracked a very strong consumer proposition or a strong dealer proposition. Uh, lots of leadership changes, so we, we don't see that as the kind of biggest direct threat, but no immediate plans. I think if it wasn't for the, the new car supply issues, uh, we'd be a lot sooner on it. But uh, again, one day we'd like to, but no, nothing nothing yet. So Two questions kind of wrapped in one as we head towards um, finishing our conversation, James. One with a bit of hindsight and one looking at tomorrow, as it were. Looking at what you've done today, are any mistakes that you've made or anything that you've done that you wish you'd done differently? And if not, any sort of lessons that you've learned along the way? And what does the future look like for Car Wow? More international locations, obviously, said the US would not, you know, is sort of on the radar, but not one for tomorrow. Or, you know, is a public market listing on the on the on the agenda? Maybe again, not tomorrow, given the current market conditions. So, things that you've either learned or or, or regretted along the journey, and then what does the future look like? Yeah, I mean, it take another forty-five minutes at least to go through mistakes and regrets. <laughs> and, and you wouldn't want to tell everyone listening to them about them anyway, would you? Oh, we're <laughs> open with that kind of stuff. So, I mean. <laughs> Broadly speaking, the biggest mistake and what I've made uh, more, more than a few times is hiring the wrong person. Okay, interesting. So, okay. Hire, uh, I mean, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that, yeah, every business has its own culture where working uh, and it changes over the scale and, and life cycle of the company. But we hired some wrong people for the wrong time at Carwell uh, and it caused lots of issues, slowed us down in lots of areas, big impact to the culture, um, particularly about two years ago. Uh, and and it all came down to a small number of bad hires. And did you take too long to to rectify that or potentially no, get this business out of the business or were you quite ruthless? Fairly, fairly quick to rectify the problem, but no problem. it can it doesn't take long to uh, to cause problems. Yeah, okay. And I think we, we also burnt a fair few people who've been with us for quite a long time in an area. Let's make it up marketing. Yeah. You hire someone in to run marketing who is the wrong hire. And frankly, it kind of burns through some of the long-standing people who think this person's worse than me or not great at this scale at this yeah. stage. Uh, very, very painful. But yeah, rectified, but still uh, kicked us back uh, significantly in, in where we could be if we hadn't made those. So then just to pause on that then. So obviously, and not everyone gets every every recruit right. And, you know, even in our business, you know, you have, you have to 
sometimes go in your gut and your gut yeah. can sometimes deceive you. How how will you how will you learn from those lessons then? I'm assuming you'll go, well, we'll do another two interviews or do something else. How do you how do you get that or how do you reduce the number of um yeah, bad okay. hires then come? Well, yeah, so in the early days, it was all with my gut. I mean, we hire people after I mean, I had lunch with Matt, who runs all our content, Matt Watson. And that was it. The interview process was over. The first person we hired, it was a coffee and that was it. David, it was a coffee and that was it. Done. And everyone's always great first conversation, aren't they? <laughs> well, yeah, but my gut went off a bit, I think. Over, over, <laughs> uh, and, and now it's a super boring answer, but it's just a really structured interview process. So meet lots of people, different people grill on different areas. So you're not being asked as a candidate. You're not being asked the same question every time. So we share all the questions asked, answers, lots of depth, lots of in-depth referencing. Uh, I learned pretty quickly that if you ring someone up from a, for a reference and they're kind of relatively warm, that means they're crap. It's only if they're kind of <laughs> overflowing with praise that that's when you think, okay, there's something there. Because everyone's quite polite on a reference call. But if they're quite polite and quite warm, then that's a negative signal. Yeah, we're still very British, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So then, because I've dived in a couple of times on, on that on that question, um, what does the future look like for Carwell International, exit options, that kind of thing? Yeah, so over the next kind of 12, 18 months, big focus on just horizontal expansion. So we're bringing sell your car into Germany imminently, uh, okay. used cars into Germany as well. We've got massive reach. And again, it's helping our existing consumer, existing dealer, um, and continuing that in the UK. And at one point, Spain as well. So that, that's the focus and wait for the new car supply to come back a fair bit. And in terms of, yeah, we're not looking to exit in terms of uh, acquisition, but we do think going public at some point is the best route to grow the business. When that'll be, who knows? Who knows what the markets will be in 12 months, 18 months, but uh, we think that could be a great way to continue growing the business. So James, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Um, I always finish the podcast with the same question, although people may be rolling their eyes now at this stage, but you need to answer it as one of our guests. You're at a dinner table, it's your final dinner. It might be a death row dinner, it could be your final dinner because you've had some terrible news about tomorrow, the apocalypse is incoming or something. Um, aside from your family, so there's there's the first caveat. Um, who would be your three guests and just give us a little one-liner around why? I didn't realize it was my death row dinner. I thought it was like, <laughs> have a dinner have a dinner tomorrow night type. Uh... <laughs> No, I'll give I'll give what I would do in terms of not my death row dinner because that would change it completely. Um, okay, but I I would do if I mean if we could have it at the moment. I think, I mean I think uh, well I mean very common answer I'm sure Elon Musk. I think he's the entrepreneur of our generation, mad but brilliant, uh, and I'm sure he'd be very very interesting views. Uh, I'd have uh, Xi Jinping because I think China's fascinating and what they could do or or with the world or could not do uh, is. Uh, kind of terrifying but also the opportunity yeah, yeah, yeah fascinating and the opportunities could be massive i think that discussion between elon and, and him could be good and then and then i'd also put in the queen because i think she's been through i mean, can't think of many people have been through more change both in what she's seen herself what she's experienced herself personally and, and seen the world change uh, i think would give a, a very interesting perspective on everything the queen I, I... I seem to feel like I'm shocked every time now. And I don't know if there's been a perception change or maybe people have watched Netflix drama series. I don't know, but <laughs> the Queen's caught three times. Oh, you might be, you, you're even the third or the fourth. And 
I don't know. I um, I, I find I find it I find it really interesting. Actually, I think it's a positive thing that actually people do um, suggest she the Queen's stories. I think after yeah, she, yeah, 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 yeah. So. No, she she well, she's definitely met a couple of people, if nothing else. So go on then. Who would be your death row guests then? Why and, and why would they be different? It's Thirty-seven degrees. I can't think off the top of my head right now. <laughs> I will let you off. Anyway. I'm, next I'm time. Next time. I've definitely taken enough of your time on a 37 degree um, day. James, um, thank you. Thank you for joining thank us. You very much. Thank it's you very much. It's to catch up with you, mate. Cheers, Bob. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you're an entrepreneur or CEO and have a story you would like to feature or would like to suggest a founder you'd like to hear from, drop us a line at live at zeuscapital.co.uk. That's live, L-I-V-E, at zeuscapital.co.uk or follow us on social media at Founder and Chief. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast app. This content is issued by Zeus Capital Limited, which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority for Designated Investment Business and is a member firm of the London Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decisions regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Zeus. Please note that participants in this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed.